You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Assalamu alaikum listeners and thank you for tuning in to In Conversation With. And today's show is on postnatal depression and your host today is myself, Saira Dar, and my lovely husband, Shahid Majid. Shahid, don't say salam to everybody. Assalamu alaikum everybody. Oh, that's a nice happy, happy tone you've got there. And our lovely guest is my good friend Tess Ali and her husband who is the friend to many Muslim stars, Naim Ali. Assalamu alaikum guys. Alaikum salam. Oh, just, so just to get us started and warm us up a wee bit, what did you guys have for Suhoor and why? Tess, what did you have for Saudi? What did you, what did you make? Why? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Weetabix. Weetabix, why? Because <laughs> I was late getting up. <laughs> what about you, Naim? Did you, did you marry? I just had Weetabix. Okay. Why? Why did I have why? Weetabix? Because it was nice and easy and it was only like about five minutes late. Yeah, think, so. yeah. I had yeah, to get her up. Yeah, it's an easy one. <laughs> Shahid, what about you? What did you have for your Saudi? Oh, well, Go you, on. you made potato scones, didn't you? So I had two of those ketchup. With, with what? With cheese and cheese. <laughs> and then I had some fruit salad. And then I had a bit of porridge with banana. And, and nuts and seeds. And, I, and I, I might have stopped eating by that point. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, it was a very fulfilling Saudi, wasn't what it? What did you have, Saira? Yeah, I had the same. So we had po- I made porridge with uh, chia seeds and sunflower seeds and banana and stuff. And then, but then we had our potato scones with egg, which was really delicious. I didn't have egg, you did. Yeah, I did. Nice fried egg. Okay, so today's topic... You're up in time, you can tell. <laughs> we don't sleep. No, no, that's why we don't sleep. You don't have a one-year-old. Yeah, that's no, no. Probably, that, that's, that's probably why, right? That's, it's tougher because you're obviously, your sleep's even more broken. No, Alhamdulillah, ours goes to sleep and that's our through till the morning. Um, and we're doing the early seri, so that's why. Okay, so today's topic, like I say, is postnatal depression. It's a very sensitive topic, and unfortunately, it's a topic that very few people talk about, very few people know about, um, and I think possibly even on the on this radio uh, on radio Ramadan, it may even be the first time that we've spoken about postnatal depression. And just to get us started, I, I'd like for you guys, uh, Tess and Naim, just to introduce yourself. The Tess. Okay. So my name is uh, Tehseen, um and I am. 38 years old. I'm a mum of three. Um, I've got three beautiful children, mashallah. They range from kind of one-year-old to seven-year-old. Um, I'm a GP by profession. Um, I do kind of locum work and I've taken the last six uh, years pretty much off um, and did just kind of emergency out-of-hours work. Um, so that's me. Okay, and name. Tell us about yourself. What do you do? How long have you guys been married? Work? Uh, my name's Naeem. Uh, I've been married for good company for 10 years, isn't it? 10 years. Mashallah. And I'm a school teacher. And that's all I do. That's all you do? Just Organise one or two events. Okay. Occasionally. <laughs> I could say a friend to the Muslim stars. <laughs> Stalker, maybe. <for> you. <laughs> so, Tess, um, can you tell us about a about your experience with postnatal depression and just start off wherever you feel comfortable? Um, when did you realise you had postnatal depression? I mean, obviously I've had three pregnancies. Um, the first pregnancy, I after that, I didn't really kind of... Um, 
realise at the time that what the symptoms that I was having were probably postnatal depression. Um, I kind of pretty much ignored most of the symptoms that I would as a doctor kind of pick up on when somebody comes in to see me. Um, after the first pregnancy, it kind of manifested more as anxiety. Um, you know, it was kind of anxious about, you know, if the baby was safe, if what I was doing was right. Um, <clears throat> you know, anxiety about, uh, you know, how what type of a mother I was, if I was doing a good job um, and getting through, you know, the kind of sleepless nights and the tiredness and things. Um, so it was more anxiety after the first pregnancy um, and they were kind of symptoms which were just um, kind of mild perhaps. And I think the reason for that is because it was the first child, I still had some time to myself and I got back into the interests that I had um, before pregnancy pretty quickly. I mean, I think I kind of went back to fitness um, pretty quickly as well. Um, I, you know, I was, you know, six months after I had my first child, I climbed Ben Nevis, you know. So it was it was one of those things that I didn't... And the ISILBUS exam two, di- two weeks later. Wow. You know, so I kind of kept myself going. And Functioning and very highly then. I don't know if I would put it at that level, but I was kind of, you know, um, continuing to do what I kind of enjoyed. Um, then after the second pregnancy, I think there was a gradual realisation that things just weren't quite right. Um, I think there was changes in my personality. Um, I was kind of, you know, the anxiety from the first pregnancy had returned. Um, I had a quite a traumatic birth Um so I was kind of, you know, a bit uh, in terms of recovery. It was a kind of a prolonged recovery from that. Um, the anxiety led to kind of a bit of social iso- social isolation as well. I kind of, you know, wasn't going out to see my friends as much. I would avoid kind of phone calls and, and you know avoid going out to see them, um, and which kind of. You know, people would phone up and ask to arrange a coffee date or something, and you know, I'd make up an excuse last minute, you know, just because I wasn't comfortable, um, and. It was kind of little things like that initially, um, and then it kind of got a little bit worse with kind of not being willing to go out with family even. You know, so I would kind of come to the weekend and, and Nime likes to go out at the weekend and, you know, we're quite active. And before having children, we were re- really active, you know, hill walking at the weekend and out, you know, most weekends. Um, and I would kind of say, you take the, ch- you know, you you go and I'm kind of, I'd rather stay at home with the baby. Um, so it was kind of, and that obviously was having an impact because there was less time with, with, with family as well. Um, it was a bit more snappy, perhaps, you know, mm-hmm. a little, you know, more so than normal, uh, you know, Nime would probably say. Um and, you know, I think the real realisation for me came when I couldn't get back into my fitness. And as you know, that I, you know, I was, a f- you know, I teach fitness classes and when um, fitness wasn't kind of, you know, it, I needed motivation to get to the gym. And that was a big realisation that actually something's just not right. Um, so you lost interest in things that you really yeah did. it was kind of things that you know usually would give me like an endorphin rush you know I would like you know if I was teaching a class you know by the end of the class you're on a high you know yourself you know when you exercise um, you know th- that that's usually what happens but I wasn't getting you know that same you know high that I would do normally you know you could teach a spin class and come out of it and feel tired and kind of you know not kind of as if you were um, you know the purpose that you went for it wasn't kind of fulfilled so that's when I kind of realised um, you know there's something not right um, so we yeah plodded through that even in the second pregnancy um, I think Naim realised it more so um, in the second pregnancy because things weren't right I wasn't my usual self um, 
and he says that he didn't actually, you know, mental health's not really talked about in Asian culture, as you know, so he didn't really kind of even consider postnatal depression until um, I kind of suggested that, you know, I think something's just not right. He just thought I was just being, you know... Uh, difficult probably um, Did you say to him things are not right or did you say I'm depressed No I don't think I used those words I think I was just like you know I don't you know we kind of when I kind of realised about maybe six to seven months after my second pregnancy um, that just things weren't picking up you know and I wasn't feeling you know, I thought the tiredness phase should start to kind of ease off now I've mm-hmm. recovered from the delivery um, you know I, I should be getting better I should be having more energy more motivation um, and I, I wasn't having that you know I still did my you know I still went back to isolabus after my second pregnancy and I did that and I did some classes but I just wasn't kind of you know the joy that you would experience from doing you know day-to-day things with your children with your family it just wasn't there um so I you know kind of spoke to him and we were you know obviously as you you know know it kind of distances you as a couple and Mm -hmm. and you know I was kind of to an extent scared that you know when you when you think that you've you're going to speak about, you know, you're being kind of low mood, etc. Everybody kind of assumes that there's marital issues. Problems, yeah. mm-hmm. And there was no marital issues. It was more that I was feeling down and sad because the chemicals in my brain weren't kind of balanced. So um, I didn't kind of really come out and say as such. We just kind of explored why we were, f- you know, why things were kind of going a certain way. And um, I think it took a while um, for, for, for Naim to kind of then uh, realise that things... And he did encouraged me to kind of go and speak to somebody um so who did you who did you decide to speak to was um, it some a professional was that your gp um not initially no i mean we spoke to each other first and then you know we spoke to i i think after my second pregnancy i didn't really speak to friends as such um i went to speak to, spoke to my health visitor and you know they do the edinburgh kind of depression yep. scale mm-hmm. and that was kind of quite high um I had a bit of an experience here where my health visitor was Muslim. Okay, that's um, interesting. And she, she, um, when I said to her, you know, how I was feeling, um, you know, I was very tearful and, and kind mm-hmm. of, you know, couldn't kind of just basically, I, I, I was like, you know, can't pull myself together and mm-hmm. I can't, you know, I just can't do it. Don't get me wrong, I was still at work. I was still, you know, doing You're functioning. My, yeah, I was functioning, mm-hmm. but I think that pretense at work of like you know being okay was kind of catching up and I was feeling really kind of exhausted from that um and I think this is like you know what we do as Asians we kind of put a religious spin on it and we put you know and I was told by my health visitor to um you know read more Aitul Kursi and read That's more really Quran and read mm. you know do my, and, and I you know I respect that view and I think you know that you know does give your soul sustenance and it does lift you but when you're in that kind of um mode where you know as low as I was at the time I don't think that was maybe the kind of right answer um so I kind of do you think do you think because she was another Muslim to another Muslim she underplayed your your mental health at that point I think she did um I think it was and and for me being a medic um who already was kind of reluctant to talk about how I was feeling I felt guilty for feeling the way I was I wanted to just kind of like get on with it you know we were kind of trained to just kind of you know, take everything in your stride, and I was like, you know, I should be, um, just you know, be able to manage this much better. Um, but I, and then the fact that when when it was put down to, um, you know, do more zikr or mm, you know, play yeah, surah yeah. bakr in your house, Not or, the information you know, and I felt, you know, actually, you know, maybe, 
I just felt like I couldn't speak to anybody about it after that. And and there was no follow up from that kind of you know interaction, um, despite you know um, my um, you know Edinburgh you know score being quite high. Yeah. So then just, I left just, it. Just to explain to the, the listeners, Edinburgh, Edinburgh postnatal depression score is something that health visitors do about six weeks postnatally. And it's a screening <laughs> tool used to pick up problems with uh, low mood, depression, anxiety in young mums, uh, new mums. Yep. So, um, so yeah, you were then I you, left it. You, you, <laughs> you're, you're saying that it was only in the third pregnancy that this kind of came about, even though you had yeah. certain symptoms in the first and second pregnancy. And I think people at home will be thinking, well, she's a doctor. How can she not recognise? And I think when you are the patient, things are very, very different. And it's very, uh, from my own personal experience, I know after we had our second baby, um, because of isolation, we were living away from Glasgow at that point, because of isolation, um, my mood was very low but it took us a good few years for me and Shai to look back and say yeah that was a difficult period and that was because you just had a baby and your mood was low and it did cause problems um, you know because you're more irritable you're feeling really rubbish low self-esteem yeah obviously it has an impact on those loved people around you um, when you so after the third pregnancy when you you spoke to Naim and you realised that things weren't right. Did you speak to family? Did they were they aware of? And maybe maybe that's a question for Naim actually. Were, were family around you aware of what was going on? And was there support from family? Yeah, not really. Was it something that you spoke to them about? I think um, at one point we did after the second pregnancy we did discuss it, and and you know um, I kind of would have preferred at the time not to speak to family Um, I was like you know I can deal with this you know the the usual kind of um, you know I can deal with this my way and um, I can get over this and we did eventually it was a long kind of year and a half and then we did eventually get over it but I think with the third pregnancy um, we were a bit more prepared Um, we were a bit more prepared Um, and we I think Naim had spoken to um, my mum towards the latter part of my third pregnancy to kind of I think this I wasn't aware of this at the time but he'd spoken to them and said you know this is you know just kind of keep a watch out um having said that I did kind of speak to a couple of friends after my second pregnancy but um this is where we can maybe touch on it later I, I mean I did mention it to two people and it just wasn't kind of I just don't think you know that our Asian community really understands mental health well at all and it just the the support or kind of help that I thought I would get by talking to somebody I I didn't get that in the second pregnancy Um, and then we were a lot more prepared in the third pregnancy and I had plans um, of you know I'm gonna you know make time I'm gonna go back to the gym I'm gonna you know get family to come around and help Um, and my mum was very very helpful and she was instrumental in you know kind of limiting impact in the third pregnancy Um, but you know, I had a lot of, I had again a, a third traumatic delivery, and you know, it, I had a lot of back pain and issues with that, and I couldn't really get back into the things that I would usually be able to do that were going to, you know, were in my part of my management plan for myself. Um, and I think that kind of re, and, and we had two house moves, you know, kind of in the first six months of, of having the baby, which I wouldn't recommend to anybody to do. Um, so I think, you know, the house move, the back pain, the traumatic kind of birth, um, it just kind of scuppered all our plans. And, and it just goes to show that you as a medic can make these plans. You can um, have a plan in place, but, you know, things can still go wrong. And um, and it, I, I was still feeling pretty low. And I think in the third, you know, I was kind of aware of it. So I went for help a lot earlier. And I think I had to, 
you know, realise myself that, look, this is just not right, you know, and I need to go and get some help. And then I did. So for your experience is that um, after your first and second pregnancy, you had the symptoms, you and we see this in clinical practice, you're much more likely to suffer from postnatal depression mm-hmm. if you've had it before. So if anyone's had pregnancy before and if after the baby they felt a bit low, it's, it's great that you were aware that this may happen again mm-hmm. and you at least put some preparation in place. Yeah. Um, and I'm aware I didn't do an introduction to postnatal depression when we started the show, but just for the listeners at home, postnatal depression is a type of depression that many uh, mothers uh, experience after having a baby. And sometimes it's called the baby blues, um, which which can uh, unfortunately sometimes underplay the, the impact of this, this mental health problem. And it doesn't just affect the mother, but it can affect the whole family. Of course, the father can experience it too, directly or indirectly. And the most important thing to remember is if the mother is suffering, then the baby's going to suffer. So the children have a, are hugely impacted by this mental health problem. And in our society, generally, mental health has a stigma. But I think you would agree that postnatal depression is even more of a stigma yeah I mean that's why I couldn't kind of like I find it hard to kind of speak about it because I was like I should be I had you know in my head you know people are gonna from 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 as a, as a doctor when you see people um when you see patients there was a lot of you know um stigma around it so I thought you know people are immediately going to assume there's marital issues people are immediately going to assume that I'm you know not kind of capable of doing you know this kind of motherhood malarkey well Mm. um, and therefore there was this kind of guilt of feeling um, the way I was so I was kind of you know I shouldn't be feeling like this I've got you know beautiful children healthy children kind of supportive loving husband family around me albeit they didn't know at the time Um, so So I shouldn't you you didn't have any classic trigger factors you didn't have any previous mental health problems you, you were in a stable relationship um, you know you had family around you so I think sometimes people mistake that there has to be certain trigger factors there has to be certain social problems for this to happen but obviously from your experience that's definitely not the case yeah no I mean I, I didn't there wasn't anything kind of that's kind of come to light before um looking back on life you know you, you know I've been through a few difficult periods in my life but I've never you know you always busy yourself with work and, and I had certain aims and certain aspirations and you just follow them and you just I've always been that type of person that I just kind of get on with it um and you know if you put your mind to it you can do it and I think as you know as um as as important as that is to just get on with it you have to kind of sometimes take a step back and look you know I'm you know I am ill you know if somebody had diabetes they wouldn't feel guilty about it. You're so good at telling people this their health and looking after themselves so you know we have to take it like you say you have to remind yourself. You have to take it seriously and 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 I think I didn't do that in the first two pregnancies. Nine. Um, Can I ask how you felt during this whole sort of time and how it was impacting you? Um, Yeah, and you know, did you have people to talk to? First of all, uh, I felt uh, helpless because I've never seen PND. So I felt very helpless, I didn't know what to do. I just thought it was just one of those normal things like PND and that's it. uh, So I didn't think too much about it. And when I did know, I did do some research online to find what PND what can help. <coughs> and but I did try to help, but I think she just was already closed off by then. She doesn't want any help. So what what I had to do was do step up a gear, as in trying to do more stuff around the house, help with the kids, just be there, cut out. As I said, I'd say, oh, you know, come out tonight. You're not going out anymore. 
that's what people used to say like yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so I, I cut down my social life dramatically mm-hmm. during that time so I could make sure I was there at home for the kids and for uh, Tess as well and the people were more worried about me so why not coming out anymore I used to go to mm-hmm. cinema I used to do this used to do this but now uh, you know, coming out, everything okay at home? I said, yeah, everything's fine. So I, w- I wouldn't talk to anybody about it. Leaving like, my closest friends didn't know another, what was going on at all whatsoever. Because, again, it's that stigma, stigma thing. Isn't it? It's the stigma which, which attached is why to it. it's so brave of you guys to come and be sharing this, because by it's just that there's that stigma there. You've experienced it, which is why you didn't talk to family, etc. at the time. But th- this is so important because mm. this will normalise postnatal depression. This normalises mental health problems in mm. our community and it's that one step closer of raising awareness. Yeah, and I think it's about time, you know, high time that people in our culture, um, you know, Asian-Pakistani um, culture, kind of look at mental health uh, or mental ill health um, and stop kind of judging based on that. I mean, you, you can be a kind of high achieving, happy, you know, kind of, you know, successful married life, but have kind of low mood symptoms and have, you know, um, and, and, you know, postnatal depression, I didn't have it, you know, to this, you know, severe extent, but it can actually make people really unwell, you know, quite psychotic, psychotic even, yeah, psychotic. Um, and where people have to be admitted and, and you know, that the child, you know, obviously has to be kind of separated from the, the mother and there's yeah. that, that bonding. And then is, in our community, you, you know, get the whole idea of gin possession. Yeah, the gin possession. Yeah. Or there's not enough, you know, um, spirituality. You're not praying. You're not doing enough. And and Alhamdulillah, I can say that you know we, you know we nine was still kind of organising the gatherings. We were still going to kind of you know regular kind of um, gatherings for maulids or zikr. We were we were doing all of that. But I mean, I would have loved to be able to do more. But it's just finding the energy and finding the motivation. I think that's what was lacking. And people need to understand that they're, they're two different things. Um, you know that you know it's not everything isn't because people are having marital problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think um, it's important just to point out that as BME or Muslims, Asians, we uh, as a community are referred a lot less than the white population when it comes to mental health problems. And uh, I think Tessie will agree with me when we, people are referred uh, to your third sector, sector psychiatrists or whatever the services, they seem to be overdiagnosed mm-hmm. and treated almost with stronger medication or and the outcomes are a lot worse um, and probably a lot to do with cultural issues, religious issues, language issues is another big one um, so there definitely has to be more awareness around these things. Postnatal depression affects 1 in 10 women uh, and it's a very serious mental health problem which is not very often talked about uh, and today we're getting uh, Tessie's, uh, Tessie Nimes' experience of this. So going back to where we finished a uh, test did you find it difficult to find other women other muslim women who had gone through the same thing and were willing to talk about it um I, I very much so i think you know if you kind of what i said earlier you know i was very reluctant to talk about how i was feeling um so i think you know that kind of fear of being judged and 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 the fear of like being kind of um, labelled perhaps a failure, even you know, you know, you've got, you know, you you just become a mum. This is a time of joy. Why are you feeling like this? And and I think it was all really due to lack of understanding um, in the community generally about kind of um, what 
a new mum needs and what a new mum kind of requires in terms of support and everything else and, and and I think there's a lot of onus especially if you're in a kind of family situation um, <clears throat> you know you come home you've got you've got this new baby um, you know you you're, you know everybody comes and they're mm. you know they pick the baby the attention is on the baby and you know and then you know you know they'll kind of either disturb the baby's sleep or you know te- you know you know kind of give you opinions on how you sh- you should look after your child and uh, and then they leave and then you're left to deal with the aftermath of mm-hmm. that and I think people are reluctant to talk about it um, I found it very difficult to talk about and but the more and more I'm kind of realizing that it's actually not I'm not a failure and it's not um, you know it's not kind of uh, something that is anything to be embarrassed about um yes i struggled um but you know you you fight through and you still manage to come out the other end and it's actually probably made me a lot stronger and it's made us stronger as a couple um and and you know i think i've spoken to a couple of people um you know at gatherings or you know out socially and um you know they they do there's a lot more of postnatal depression um in various kind of degrees than you would actually think um i think you know it's very very common um and people People just, you know, need to be supported and kind of allowed a platform to kind of discuss um, this and, and kind of talk about it in a non-judgmental way. Do you think also it's quite likely that people are suffering from this, but they don't know they're suffering from it and they just put it down to, oh, well, having a baby's hard and this is just the way it's supposed to be? Yeah, I mean, I think that is a huge element of it. Um, and there is a lot of, you know, um, you know, somebody might say to you, you know, that, you know, in our days we just had, you know, five babies and we just got on with it. Um, and, you know, that time is different and this time is different. And, and you know, just now as a kind of young professional, um, I did have, a, you know, there's a lot of kind of demands on you, um, you know, in terms of work life, um, you know, home life, you know, your married life, in terms of your social life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, to ca- try and kind of balance everything is difficult. And, and, and you don't need those extra pressures on top of your kind of you know you know hormonal imbalance that you've got after um you know after giving birth so i think um you know, I think there is kind of need for 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 more discussion and people to be made aware of the signs and symptoms. And you know, yes, you there. You know, baby blues are very different from postnatal mm-hmm. depression. Baby blues um, will come on like, and after the first kind of few days of giving birth, and they'll last you know um, less than kind of two to three weeks. They won't kind of persist beyond the first month. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're getting kind of persisting symptoms of you know finding it hard to motivate yourself, feeling low, feeling tearful, crying for no reason, maybe which, which can happen months after yeah which can happen I mean I didn't kind of you know you know with each of them you know it was kind of more kind of when they were five six months when Mm -hmm. they've passed that kind of stage where they can all they do is sleep and you know and and feed and that's great you know that first two weeks is actually very easy and then um you know afterwards when you know when there's more demands on you and and as as you know um you know I breastfed my children and and breastfeeding and you know work I think it is quite demanding Mm -hmm. and you feel attached Mm -hmm. to the baby all the time and I think you need to um, give yourself some credit sometimes that you know you're doing okay you know um, and yes you might don't be scared of kind of being um, you know talking to your GP about the fact that this is how you're feeling and it's persisting um, yes you might have other things you know maybe your iron levels are low um, you know maybe you have got thyroid issues maybe you've got other kind of you know actual um, physical organic causes um, for, for for the symptoms that you're experiencing but then you won't know that until you speak to somebody and get the test done um, and once you have had that done I, I, 
and it, actually, I think it's really sad that when you brought this up with your health visitor, who is actually the first person who should be picking up on this, her advice was not the best. Because one yeah. of the things I was going to say uh, on air today was speak to a health visitor because they're experienced at picking this up and putting you through to the right people. I mean, don't get me wrong, that one experience of negativity wasn't kind of repeated again. My mm. my health visitor, um, you know, the third time round when I did speak to them, I actually um, had a health visitor and then a student health visitor. And, um, you know, she couldn't have been more helpful and supportive and encouraging. Um, and, you know, she kind of, you know, so there is it's kind of independent, you know, it's not just all health visitors. It's, you know, of course, you know, I, they're... they're, they're I, it, it, but again, because it was a, I'm more disappointed, I think, because it was a Muslim health visitor. Yeah. Because one of the things I was going to say was, I feel health visitors need um, <coughs> sort of training in culture, religious kind of uh, mm-hmm. instance when yeah. it comes to a uh, postnatal depression in our community. Because sometimes if they go into the household and they see extended family and think, oh great, she's got lots, of, got lots support, of support, yeah. lots of health, uh, support and help, that well obviously puts you in the low risk category, and that's not the case because you could be living with a family of six but still be very isolated, still feel very low and very lonely. Mm. So tell us about your road to recovery test. Talk us through what what helped the most and what happened. Um, I think when I look back and the, the first thing, the first step was acceptance. You know, uh, when I accepted that, you know, things weren't right and I had postnatal depression, I think that was um, a huge step for me. Um, I think the services and, and, and kind of um, support was probably there all along. It was me needing to accept that there was something wrong and actually, um, you know, kind of ask for help and, and kind of take that first step because you know the, the, there was times you know where you know you you you, you, you can you know you can falsify your you know Edinburgh depression scale you know you can you can kind of you know give the answers that you want to give and when you're a med you know when you know um, what the consequences of kind of being honest might be then you you might do that um, and I think people need to um, you know you know, be open and, and, and talk about it. So when, when I accepted that and, and talked about it and, and you know, Naim understood exactly what was going on, then it was a team, you know, and I think that was, I think that was the most important thing that I had his support and he was, you know, I, I don't like to always kind of say nice things about him in front of him, but, you know, he, you know, he was actually, you know, immensely helpful and I think that is, that is something that you know I will kind of be grateful for forever and and my, you know there was family support as well you know when I spoke and I think it was actually last Ramadan um, and I phoned my mum and I was just like you know I, I just broke down I was like mum I'm coming to your house and and, and mum immediately thought is everything okay how's name mm. what's going on you know and and it's that's that's the thing you know and I had to kind of then say okay let mum think that just now and I said mum there's nothing wrong with me and name name's right here with me you know holding my hand telling me to call you um you know but it's I said everything's fine but it's just that I'm just not feeling kind of well um so then I went to you know mum's for a, for a couple of weeks and and I think that just you know it was a slow road to recovery, it, you know, uh, you know, accepting that there was something um, that needed to be done and then doing that. And I think the fact that I had a lot of setbacks this year and I think it was a testing time. Um, not only the house move, the back pain, you know, I had a car accident in January. So everything was kind of, uh, you know, I just felt the world was kind of telling me slow down, you know, slow mm-hmm. down, take mm-hmm. your time, look after yourself. And I think when I started doing that, um, you know, the health visitor was very supportive. They encouraged and, um, you know, CBT, you know, seeing somebody um, 
and you'll know all about kind of the alternative therapies, talking mm-hmm. therapies, mm-hmm. just being able to honestly talk to someone about how you're feeling and not having that fake, you know, persona, you know, not just having this, with not, it. taking off my work face and actually yes. putting on, you know, the real uh, and talk, telling somebody how I actually felt and actually being honest with name and being, you know, actually I don't feel, you know, and I, it's not you, it's just, you know, me that's feeling this way and we need to work together. And I think that was, that was where I kind of started to, it was like a huge pressure lifted off. Mm. I was like, this is what I, ha- you know, this is what I'm kind of experiencing now, but there is a, there is a way to kind of navigate through. So um, then speaking to your GP, uh, you know, and, and getting to, I mean, there were other things, you know, I had, you know, there, there, there might be organic things that are kind of, you know, that need to be, you might need some vitamins or, mm. you know, supplements mm. and things. And, and so we did that and that, you know, will help as well in so, general. Yeah. But, you know, the, um, so the, it, it was a slow road, but I think, you know, as soon as I realised, you know, and accepted and, and kind of really, you know, there is support, you know, name was there and my family were supportive, you know, and th- that that was a great... I, I think the most important thing you've said that's impacted me is acceptance, that word acceptance, yeah. because it really just started from there. Once you accepted that this was the case, mm. then you were on that journey to recovery, so it has to start. So again, for listeners out there that think, actually, this is ringing true for me, this sounds very familiar, I think the first step is acceptance and understanding that this is a this is a disease like anything else and you need to accept that and then you can start the and I think also process. you need to maybe speak to the right people because you might speak to somebody and tell them but sometimes people don't really listen to what you're saying and or they're so busy that you know it's kind of maybe lost in translation what you're mm-hmm. trying to tell mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. Um, and and you know so I did speak to you know a couple of people and you know like I said it, there wasn't that support and then one you know one woman uh, a mum from the school run that I've kind of, um, you know, managed to speak to her. Um, you know, she has been an immense source of kind of strength for me. She's, you know, she's, you know, kind of positive. Um, you know, everything, you know, she puts a positive twist on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if I feel a little bit negative and I speak to her, she'll, you know, she'll be like, you know, Tess, get, you know, get a grip, you know, you know, think of the positive thing of this, give yourself a break. And I think just knowing that there's somebody there um, that can, you know, and, and she just kind of helpful. And actually, you know, without you asking for help, they're willing to give you the help that you need um, and understanding. I think, you know, that was, you know, she was kind of a huge source of strength for me as well. Um, And that made me realise that I'm not kind of, you know, I don't need to be on my own. I don't need to hide. I can actually um, speak to people and, you know, and she shared her story with me. So, you know, it was like, you know, actually, well, people, other people can go through the same thing. And then the more I spoke to people um, in our kind of wider kind of social circle, the more I realised that actually they're, you know, You're not I'm doing okay because mm. it's not. I'm not the world's worst mum, and I'm not. You know, uh, you know, my children are, are fed, they're clothed, they're he- happy, they're healthy, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I need to kind of give myself a break. And this is something that I need to deal with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. not everything else around me. It's mm-hmm. you know me that needs to kind of change. So tapping into your resources and your support network was obviously immensely. Yep important to you and again on a hopeful note I think there are lots of services out there available unfortunately again our Muslim community the BME community don't tap into those services so there is more of understanding around perinatal health I was speaking to actually a friend Sugar of the Hug who is based up at Gartner Naval Hospital and works in health improvement in parent and child um, health mm-hmm. and there was a perinatal 
a health mental health conference today actually mm. and she was telling me that the government are putting millions of pounds into this area um, to in- improve services so the services are already there it's going to improve but our community need to access them mm. and she's actually given me her work number uh, and details so I can you know we can put maybe put that on the radio station website for people to access afterwards because I think it's just about tapping into the services that are already there and yes they may not be culturally and religiously sensitive and there needs to be a lot more work done around that but inshallah I think you know we're definitely we'll be getting there Can I ask um, with regards to Naime I found it very interesting when Naime said um, about he researched a bit and that he he actually um, supported Tess himself um, you know, with regards to helping out and sort of, I guess, intuitively trying to respond and be as helpful as he could, or su- as supportive, I suppose, is a better way of putting it, as he could. Um, Naim, can you sort of elaborate on maybe a bit of what you learned by researching or, you know, like kind of like a, a bit more about how you intuited how to be supportive with respect to other guys out there that, that might see their wives having a hard time, not necessarily appreciate what's going on but, you know, kind of struggling to find out how to be supportive. It's not necessarily, I think, always, always intuitive for us guys. Uh, the first thing is, I think you should listen, listen to your wife. Because uh, I, when it comes to these kind of issues, I would never talk to her about them, or she would never talk to me about these kind of issues at all whatsoever. We don't, it's all about being happy, none of these negative issues. But when she did talk about it, like, I was like, what did I do? So, yeah, like even a night and night and day at work, I would go on the internet, uh, see postnatal depression. What can you do? All I say is just be supportive to your wife, be with her, uh, just uh, do what you can for her, like uh, help with the kids because even take the kids out. So let let her be in the house on her own for a bit, take her out. And take the kids out and let let her sleep because that that's something she needed was a lot of sleep. Even right now, alhamdulillah, this she's like from where we were last year to this year, she's a happier person, much much happier person, and she's much more calmer. And even when dealing with the kids, uh, the kids noticed as well, saying you're shouting at us today. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I need to be. You know, I'm too soft now. That's oh that's that's. <laughs> so, the main thing is helping your wife at home. That's that's the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. I think we need to get out of this culture of you know, uh, you know, that's a woman's role and that's a, that's a, that's a, that's the man's role. And I think you know, um, kind of we've always had this open kind of um, shared kind of responsibility. Uh, anyway, you know, financially and around the house, um, you know, throughout since we got married. Um, but I think you know, because I was on maternity leave, you're off. You feel that you need to, you know, you, I should be doing more. I should be cooking. I should be cleaning. You know, and that that guilt that you know he's at work, um, and I'm not able to kind of do all the things that I. You know, in my head, I think I should be able to, you know, you know, have the house, you know, sparkling clean, have the kids washed, have, you know, dinner, kind of five course dinner made, um, you know, and 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 I, I mean, you aim for that, and that's fantastic, but you know, it's okay. The kids aren't going to suffer if you order pizza for a few days in a row. You know, if you're feeling that you need to rest, rest. If you feel that you need to go out and see somebody, you know, you know, go and do that, um, and don't worry about what the house is looking like if somebody's going to come over to yours. And I think there was a lot of that. 
And, and the truth you know, is, and, if, and you, the if, guilt. You, if you'd broke your leg and you couldn't do those things, that mm-hmm. it's like, okay, that's fine. You, yeah. can't, you can't cook, you can't clean, you can't clean the house. And that would be fine and accepted. Mm. But it's different when you've got yeah. a mental health problem and something you, you can't see mm-hmm. problem it is. Yeah, okay. I used to tell her, to forget about the housework, forget about this, because that's all she wanted to make sure to ke- keep her mind off things, mm. do the housework, do this. I even said to her once, she probably remembers remember that well, uh, like when she was really down, I said to her, I hate coming home. Mm. Didn't I? Mm. <laughs> you remember? Yeah. And then the first, because it was, it was, it was a, that was a very, very tough time. Yeah. It's also a false economy if you're actually going to, if you're going to delay your recovery mm-hmm. by actually, you know, trying to, trying to o- overdo things and yeah. then, you, you know, your recovery just would, would take that much longer so it's not it's not something. It's, th- it's the same thing with any other illness, isn't it? You know, even kind of our religion says your body has a right on you, your mind has a right on you um, and, and you have to give your body and your mind that huck and um, and I don't think I did, you know, I, I'm pushing myself to get back, you know, there's a lot of pressure to get back into shape, you know, get back into your fitness and fitness was my thing. Um, th- there's a pressure to kind of have your children, you know, at such and such club and go to these classes mm-hmm. and um, you know and, and and socially as well and I think and when you feel you know sometimes you just need to kind of say well actually I can't do that and, I, and I've just got to and that's okay it's only temporary <laughs> and that's what I'm saying one of my friends who, who's been very um yeah, Sobia, if you're listening, you know you're a star. Um, you know if you know if she needs to, you know she used to say to me, look, you know you can't do everything, and you're doing a great job, and and, and that sometimes kind of helped you a lot. You, you know to, to say that actually I'm I'm not doing too badly, and I'm doing okay. Um, and sometimes you you know I as a doctor would give you know this advice out to patients, um, but I wasn't you know heeding on you know taking heed of that advice myself. I was you know being very harsh on myself, and I think when I re- you know when you realise that. And I think that was a turning point that, you know, actually I'm being so harsh on myself um, I'm pushing myself, you know, and, and you can only kind of fill it, you know, I can only fill my kid's cup if my cup has something mm, in it. Absolutely. Uh, and if my cup was completely empty, absolutely. you know, I can't, you know, I, I, I just couldn't do it. And, and, and I think that was maybe kind of looking at my children and seeing, well, actually, I, I should be able to, um, you know, work on myself so that I can make it better for them. Um, and that was a huge kind of motivation to try and, um, you know, get help and change. I think uh, just a wee tip for the men out there, I think it's very, um, as a normal man reaction to want to do something. Okay, so you're not feeling well, what can I do to make it better? But just from what Name said, I think just being around mm-hmm. and sitting and listening and just being around is what you need to do to be supportive. She, she knows that I'm not very good listening either. You're actually, you're actually a very good listener. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't talk much. Names a man of very few words, um, but you know he's actually a very good listener. And you know, you, you did listen, and okay, you, I, I, you, I did, you listen, did listen, but you wanted a response sometimes. <laughs> but and, and, and you know, sometimes you might not have the response. I probably, you know, you, you, we don't have the response. I did ask you, you what did I do? Um, you know, and, and you know, it's, the, it's it, that is the kind of age-old thing, isn't it? You know, a man, you know, you have to tell a man what to do and how to do it, mm. and you know mm. when to do it. So, um, but then I couldn't tell you because I was like, you know, just you know, just. One of the things I've learned o- over time is when you know someone comes to you with a problem and you don't know how to help them, it's okay to say. I don't know what to do, but I'm here for you. I think something. Just that's exactly that. what he did, and then I think you know that that was kind of soothing you know just kind of sitting there and you know seeing you know sitting with me if I'm feeling a bit down just kind of you know putting his hand on my hand or you know just seeing right that's fine you sit here and I'll just sit here as well and even if we don't talk you know um and then when I felt like I wanted to talk then I would and and, and I think that was 
you know, having, you know, support doesn't have to be doing something, you know, um, although, you know, there are times and, and, you know, where that is needed, you know, you need to take your initiative and you need to, um, you know, if somebody's kind of reluctant to open up, then you do need to kind of explore those things and maybe just rather than, um, you know, saying, what can I do to help you? Or if you need something, tell me, which is a lot of it, you know, we get that when somebody goes to see a baby, they be like, you know, if you need something, give us a shout. Yeah. And actually, you know, it's kind of quite hard for somebody yeah. who's kind of going through PND to actually pick up the phone and say, you know, or even just to kind of, because it's like accepting defeat, like you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you failed at doing something. So I think if you really want to help somebody, just take the initiative and do it, you know, turn up, show up more than the first time to just see the baby. Um, I, I heard of a really great little WhatsApp initiative that some women have started where they have a rota and when someone has a baby, they take it in turns and they just bring food for mm. them, which I think, I mean, something so simple, there's a group of 10, 12 women and they, they do this for any anyone in their group that has a baby and mm. so simple but so effective. Yes. And I think yeah. it's more important for people that don't have family around you. Absolutely. I mean, you know what it's like, you know, the, the, you know, when you first have a baby, the first few days, you know, alhamdulillah, you know, my mother-in-law cooked, you know, javel and sent it over, my mum cooked and sent it over, my mum stayed with me for the first You requested week. a javel. Um, and then what, <laughs> <laughs> then what happens, you know, after that first week, after that, you know, two weeks when, when things settle down and everybody goes to their homes, that is really when... when people need to kind of be aware of you know maybe if somebody is is usually very bubbly and they're quiet you know broach the subject mm-hmm. ask them what's what's wrong what's going on um and don't you know uh, you know if if they usually kind of phone you every day and they stop phoning you or mm-hmm. they come you know uh, ask them out or just say let's go for you know just take that initiative because that is something that they might you know they might say they don't need that support or that help but they're actually wanting you to do it okay. you know so just kind of take that initiative and and and, and you know if you, if, you, if you feel that there's a change in personality, behaviour, um, mood in somebody that's, you know, close to you who's just had a baby, um, then then take that initiative. Naeem, why do you think it's so... I mean, we've, we've made those points already, but just to kind of summarise, why is it so important that we talk about this topic in our community? I think, we, I mean, we're, we're doing that just now and... It, you know, um, talking about a very sensitive topic, why is that important? Especially for <coughs> guys, anyway. Guys do not talk about these kind of things <coughs> whatsoever. Because when you go, when you go, when you go to the boys, it's all about talking about movies, this and that. We don't talk about our personal life because it's it's, it's a manly thing to do. So, I think uh, it's also burda as well. It's privacy. It's, mm. You know, no, no one's going to go out there and start talking like about issues at home, especially mm. with their wives. That's think not a done thing. Like, but the other, the other side, like you have, as I was saying, non-Muslims, they, they they talk about these things all the time. Guys talk about these all the things mm-hmm. all the time. But but it, it doesn't, it doesn't have to. You can still do burda on your wife, but talk about how you are, how you're. Yeah, I mean, because I think it's important that the the guys talk about how Absolutely. they're feeling, because mm-hmm. it's not easy for them if somebody's going through post, if their wife's going through postnatal depression, it's probably kind of like hell for them as well, yeah. you know, um, because not only can't they support the person that they love, um, you know, it, it's like a, you know, it, it's quite difficult, emotionally draining, physically draining. So I think you know, it's you know. You you don't have to um, necessarily talk about, um, you know, even your wife. You, you, you can talk about how you're feeling, um, and I think I, mean, I, I wouldn't even suggest already. talking to lots of people. You know, but one or two close friends. I think it's important that you know you don't. If you don't feel comfortable talking about, you know, how you are feeling and what's going on at home or what's going on in your head, um, then you know. 
you should only do what you're feeling comfortable with and, and just kind of finding that one or two you know mm-hmm. people that you know are reliable and, and will kind of support you um, and I think you know I think you do have plenty of friends that you know if you did talk to them name I think you know they would be there for you and I think that's the realisation that I had to make that you know there was people like this you know Sobia was there I, I just needed to open up and speak to her and um, you know and I think you, yeah so talking is important because you don't get that time again they think you know, what, what you, people get other guys going to think of you then like oh yeah, but then that's yeah, a stigma, that's isn't stigma. it? That's and a that's a stigma. stigma. But what the guy's going to say, oh, he's, he's, a, he's, he's got a feminine side to him. Yeah. <laughs> We're not calling him it. He's next week. <laughs> Actually, the reality what happens is they may have a similar experience like you've yeah. already realised and they, it gives them a chance to open up mm. as well and share a more... If there are all these women that I'm talking to, you know, of my age that are kind of having similar... Whether it be anxiety, whether it be mild depression, whether it be severe depression, um, you know... Their husbands, their partners are affected by it, and, and if you're seeing that you're not affected by it, you're lying because you are. You know, no, you, no, you are affected by it, and you're kind of denial. Then, if you, if you feel you're not affected by it, and um, you know. I think we've you need to rediscover because you know you, you need to discover that joy of you know that kind of early kind of you know year of your child's life, um you know and you need to kind of you know it's important because then you'll be more calmer. The children it's better for the children, better for you, better for the community. You, you know you need to have a healthy mum and a healthy dad and a healthy family kind of um kind of set up. I I think you both have obviously spoke about this and it's really important to reiterate that. But postnatal depression affects not just the individual, but it affects a partner and it affects the children and the wider family. And more so, I think, than any other mental health problem where the, the partner is directly affected. And then we can't forget the children and all this, you know, because if you're if you're unwell, then that connection with that child, that's not going to be there. It's even harder to really give them that nurture and that nourishment that they may need. Um, especially if your partner is not supportive, yeah, you know, I think that you know, we we did a very good job of hiding it from from family, and and I think we we managed to kind of hide it from the children. But they they'll pick up on clues, yeah, yeah. Um, they'll pick yeah. up why is mummy not coming, you know, to, for for the walk. Serious the times, why is mummy crying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tess, just before we finish, I want you to tell uh, the listeners out there what advice would you give to new moms, whether it's your first child or third child. So, what advice would you give them if they think they may be suffering from postnatal depression? I think that the best advice that I can give um, to new mums is um, don't be harsh on yourself. You know, um, don't you know it is a real problem with serious consequences, and it can have serious consequences. Um, it's tough. It seems unbearable at the time, but it will pass, and you need to reach out for that help. You know, and first of all, accept. Speak to people around you, um, whether it's your mum, whether it's your you know um, husband, whether it's a friend, whether it's a you know sister. Speak to them. Um, get family to kind of support you. Um, you know, speak to your health visitor um, and, and kind of your GP. Get the help you need, um, and it's not. You know, don't think of it as a failure. Don't feel the guilt. You know that you know you shouldn't be feeling this way. Um, it's a tough time parenting in, in general, and if you're actually mentally kind of suffering, and, and it's a hormonal imbalance, it's not you. You know, you, you you are not kind of being lazy. You're not being, um, you know, you're not you, you're doing a good job. You just need to kind of like realize that you are doing okay. Um, Rest as much as you can. Get back into exercise if you can. Even just taking the baby out for a walk. Eat well. You know that bunjiri that your mum makes. You know, and that you know that that that's good for you. <laughs> you know, our mums have this thing of you know get you know so eat well. Um, social interaction very very important. You know, um, and just kind of try and forget sweating about the small stuff because you know they look at the bigger picture. 
Okay, Jazakala very much. Jazakala Tess for that very insightful uh, you're looking, letting us listen to your experience which has been obviously a very sensitive and difficult time for you and Naima as well um, I, I think this is a, this is a, a, a illness which affects the family and has great, great consequences so it's really important that we're talking about it and I really appreciate uh, you guys being brave and opening up that discussion and sharing your experience with us and I want to just the listeners at home again um, I've got a number here for you if you feel that you're being you may be suffering from postnatal depression speak to a health visitor speak to a GP speak to your friends accept what you're what you're feeling and speak to somebody and also uh, my friend Shukufta Huck who works in health improvement has given her number 0141 211-0306 she says she's quite happy to help those people that are uh, having a difficult time and put them into a um, sort of uh, connect them with uh, appropriate services in their area uh, Jazakallah to the listeners for listening this is Radio Ramadan 1530 AM Assalamu alaikum.